Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. We are in the third week of our Philippians sermon series. And um, we get, we're going to hand out a little something that we got for you guys. I got for every, everybody here, it's a Philippians um, scripture journal. And so this can be your little, like, uh, your little primer for the series. The nice thing about just preaching through a book is they have some of these resources. And so basically you have a page of scripture and then you got a place to take notes. And I'm believing that as you're able to go through this with us side by side, take notes, that this can be something that will be a gem that you can hold on to for years to come. We haven't done this before with the series, but we thought like, hey, why not? And so um, hopefully this is a blessing to you. And it's in the same translation that we're preaching through. So if you don't currently have ESV, now you have it in front of you. So be blessed. Hopefully this will help the scriptures to be written, not just in your minds, but in your heart. And this can impact our lives together moving forward. So there is that. Good old scripture journals. So week three of this sermon series. So far, uh, week one, I preached on two verses, uh, which kind of distilled down to this idea of grace and peace. And that um, because of the grace that we have received from Jesus, the outcome of that should be a peace that resonates in our lives and in our hearts and that others would see as evidence of having received the good news of Jesus and that he would be our Lord and Savior. And so that was the basic gist of that. Last week, Pastor Case preached a great message. Uh, You can check out the details of that, especially if you were gone last week. Uh, Any of our podcasting places, YouTube, Facebook, all that. Uh, His message is there, which covers like the next 11 verses. And then today we're going to be in Philippians 1, 12 through 18, 12 through 18. So you can flip there as we get started. Typically, I'll have like a little opening illustration, but we're just going to read the scripture and then we're going to kind of put in some illustrations as we go through it. I think that this uh, passage is powerful enough that we just want to get right into it this morning. I don't think we need to like massage our way into it. We're just going to get into the word. And so my title for today's message is Advancement Through Adversity. So that can be the lens through which we receive this. So let's read the word. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for what you are going to speak to us through it today. Father, we're grateful that this isn't just 
some text that's written to the original church, but God, as you have put it in your word, it is for us today. It is alive and it should resonate in our hearts as we read it. Father, would you, through your spirit, reveal to us what should change or be applied in our lives out of having received this word. God, ultimately, would your gospel be furthered in our lives and in the world around us because of your word and our relationships with you. So we thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So this gets started off pretty strong, doesn't it? Like, Paul doesn't mince words here. Uh, In this First verse, verse 12, this is kind of a topic sentence for everything that follows it all the way through verse 26, through all the way through next week. When Paul writes something like, I want you to know, like, that, you should listen up, right? There's certain things as you read the scripture and as you learn to, like, commune with God through his word and through prayer, that when you hear something, it should pique your attention, It should pique your attention. And when Paul says, hey, I want you to know, that's like, listen up. I'm about to drop some truth on you. He's introducing something important. And why he's making sure people are tuning in is his readers, knowing that he is locked up, that he is in chains, that he is in prison, very understandably could have concluded that Paul's imprisonment had brought the building of the church to just a halt. Like, the assumption would be like, oh, no, Paul is in prison The church is at best going to plateau. Like, their idea would have been like, everything's thrown out the window. Like, our guy, he's locked up. They've stopped the movement or the advancement of the gospel. The building of the church of Jesus Christ must be at a standstill now because our guy is locked up. And so they're worried about the progress of all that they had given their lives to, that they'd been praying for, that they had been uh, contributing to. However, the Apostle Paul here, he announces that this hasn't happened. He says, I want you to know that is not how things are going. The tides have not turned. Rather, his imprisonment, he says, was resulting in the advancement of God's program, of God's mission, of his plan for the world. And in relation to the progress of the gospel, Paul's imprisonment was really a good thing, as it turns out. It ended up being a positive situation. One theologian said it this way. He said, the same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's sling used Paul's chains. The same God who used those things used Paul's chains for the advancement of the gospel, for the advancement of the good news, the transformative power of what Jesus Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection. It was, in fact, advancing. And Paul starts this out saying, hey, I want you to know like your fears, all the things that you think would naturally happen as an outcome of me being in chains, like that's not happening. We're moving forward. It's advancing. And I'm excited because I'm about to tell you all the ways in which it is advancing. Now, it's important to note here that he uses the word advance. He doesn't say the gospel will survive. Like oftentimes think about when, when a crisis happens, how people comfort you or how they bring context to it. It's like, hey, listen, I lost my job, but like, we're going to survive, right? Like, that, that's kind of more of the narrative in crisis or hard moments. Um, hey, this, 
we in COVID right now, but we'll survive. We'll get through this, right? We can't meet in person, but we will survive. There often is this time in crisis that we just pray to survive, to maintain, to get by. But Paul very clearly here says, no, this is advancing. Like the gospel is taking ground. It is winning in the midst of crisis. It's winning in the midst of crisis. Now, people in this room have been with our community for a varying amount of time. We have everything from, you know, seven, eight years of history in this room to, hey, nice to meet you today, right? Like, that's the spectrum of length of relationship in this room right now. But if we think back on not just our church, but the church, the mission of God over the last number of years, there are plenty of crises and hardships that could put us into the mindset of let's just get by. I don't know if any of you have experienced that in your personal lives. Like, I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to trying to even maintain where I was at, you know, in 2019. Let's like just try to not slip backwards. You know, there's a lot of things that could cause not just our own lives, but the advancement of the gospel to retract or to go into kind of a survival mode. COVID, like we all of a sudden, it was like, you can't meet. Now, I don't know about you guys, if, if you know this, but we don't own this building. Grace City Eugene doesn't own a space. We rent space, which means when there's restrictions and governmental things put out there about how you can meet in spaces and all that, we are just at the mercy of whoever we happen to be renting from. So when that happened, where we were meeting, we could not meet anymore. Now, there was that, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve that happened that turned into a few months. But like, so we knew everybody was not going to meet, but our time had the potential of being extended. Our ability to come together and worship God together was at jeopardy because we didn't have a building. But God made a way. We determined in the midst of that. We will not let fear rule. And we believe that the gospel is going to thrive, not just survive, in the midst of COVID. So we knew that God was still had a plan for his people. And we had the joy and the honor of partnering in that. And we made a choice that this will not hinder the advancement of the gospel. Now, it looked different. I preached an Easter message to a video camera with Casey behind it and nobody else in the room. You want to talk about, like, one of the most horrible moments of ministry for me. Like, I don't do this to just talk to a camera, right? Like, I like being around my people. But that's what it took to see the gospel still advancing. The gospel still can advance, and we've seen this in our own community, through, like, tragedy, like through death, through sickness, through all these things, like the gospel still advances when you stay true to what God has called you to do and don't shrink back and just try to survive. There are plenty of things, lack of resources, lack of building, inexperience, all of these things could cause people in their own lives and us as a church to shrink back and be like, let's just try to maintain, let's just get by. But what I take from this as I read it is Paul says, church, and we're church, so we, we can take this for ourselves too. This isn't about just getting by. You will advance in the name of Jesus. You will proclaim and declare his truth, and that will keep us as a community of believers winning and not just getting by. Paul declares, hey, you think that our circumstances have shrunk us back, but the gospel is advancing. And this is the paradigm through which the rest of what he is sharing is to be heard from. So if you don't get that part, then the rest of this doesn't really make sense, or it will at least be out of context. 
The gospel will advance when God's people are faithful because he is faithful. Amen? Then the next verse, verse 13. The point of this verse is because Paul's imprisonment in Rome, because of it, many people heard the gospel that would have not otherwise heard the gospel. Like, it, it, you know, if you're just in Jerusalem and you're around, like, Jewish believers and, and people like that, cool, you're going to get one people group. But because of Paul's imprisonment, because of where he was sent and all this, like, it actually stoked the fire of the word of God spreading. The phrase that it uses here, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ in the NASB, or I am in chains for Christ, it uses in the NIV, aside from the ESV that we read, in the Greek text, stresses an important fact, and it's this, and we can't miss this. Paul's relationship to Christ, not just his service for Christ, is what had become known. In the original language, this is communicating. People are knowing about my relationship with Christ, not just my service to him, because of my imprisonment in his name. His relationship, his testimony was being shared with them. What Jesus had done in his life, how he had encountered him, was being shared in places that unless you're in jail, you don't get to share the gospel in jail. You can't just go sign up like, hey, can I come preach in jail today? Like, no, you have to, you have to go there or work there, right? And he was being given access to a completely new group of people because of his plight. We didn't stream online before COVID. Like, it just wasn't something that we put as an effort. Like, it's a lot of technology. It's a lot of effort. It's more servants. But because of COVID, now we have a streaming service online. And now more people, because of that, are getting to hear the gospel. Not just through us, but through the church abroad. This isn't just about us, but it's nice to hear an example of us because that's, you know, what is, what is close. But because of that, technology is now advancing the gospel in places that it wasn't before. So praise God for hardship that yielded more open doors and more people encountering the good news of Jesus. Now, Paul talks about two groups that had received his witness here. There's the imperial guard, which in other translations is spoken of as the praetorian guard. And then it says, and many other people, or the rest of them. Now, this praetorian or imperial guard refers to the soldiers who were members of the regiment assigned to guard many of the high-ranking officials at the time. So think for us, maybe a a secret service of sorts. It's the highly trained regiment that would guard all the high-ranking officials, high-profile prisoners, all of that kind of thing. Um, But the praetorian guard was also a place. So it was a group of people that guarded like the high-profile folks, but it would also have been like Capitol Hill, right? So you got all of the, the hub of government for Rome, and you got the folks that guard it. And he's saying, hey, all of these people are getting reached because of my imprisonment, because of my proximity out of the necessity of my imprisonment to them. And he's, he's elated that this is happening. These soldiers were also responsible for the prisoners who had appealed to Caesar. Basically, they're, they're filing an appeal, an official appeal as a Roman citizen, which Paul was. And it was an honor to be one of these guards. This wasn't just like, you know, oh, I happened to get picked to serve over here. This, this was a, a high honor. 
And these folks would have been in the hired house with Paul because imprisonment oftentimes could look more like house arrest for people that were, that were appealing to Caesar. But he would have been there 24 hours a day. He would have been with these people. They would have been around him as he was, as he was eating, as he was praying, as everything that he was doing in his life, they would have witnessed. Which begs the question, if people that don't know Jesus are around you 24 hours a day, and your testimony is what they're observing of your life, what are they learning about Jesus? Oh, when I, I didn't even want to put that in my notes because I didn't want to have to deal with that. Let me be honest. Let's, let's just be honest. But if 24 hours a day you are testifying to the goodness of Jesus, how he has changed your life, how he is renewing your mind, that he is good and that he is Lord of your life, how are we doing at that? I don't have time to repent from all my stuff right now, so I'm just going to leave that question hanging for all of us. But that should cause us to pause a little bit and say, man, are you telling me that Paul lived in such a way that at 24 hours a day, his life preached the gospel? Now, the good thing is the gospel is not about our perfection. It's about our pursuit of Jesus. So that doesn't mean that, like, if you mess up, if you have a bad thought, if you happen to maybe kick the dog or scold the kids, that, oh, all of a sudden you don't know Jesus. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, like, how is our life and our lifestyle testifying to a God who saves, to a God who changes hearts, to a God who leads us into becoming more and more like Jesus? Amen. So it was an honor to be one of these guards. They witnessed him 24 hours a day. And there were originally only 10,000 of these soldiers. It was a very elite, concentrated group that were picked by the Emperor Tiberius. These folks were paid double. They had special privileges. And they were so powerful that emperors would court their favor. Like they were, they were like celebrities of sort. And Paul had contact with these soldiers. How else do you gain access to that group of people? Some of you in here are like, I don't know why I'm working my job. I don't know why I'm studying what I'm studying. I feel like I'm not around any Christians. I feel like I'm just an outcast. And this may be the very place God has brought you because how else can he access that group of people to shine light in darkness? I think about all the people groups that are represented in here, whether it's in the medical field, in different campus groups, in athletics, like in different communities. And we can often think, oh, man, poor me. I don't have any Christian neighbors. Great, because God placed you there because it's dark and you're supposed to be a beacon of light. Man, my major is just so dark. Nobody respects my faith. Great. Go in there, shine the light of Jesus, preach why you live the way you live and what hope there is from them because odds are they're just really hopeless and they need something that they can put their hope in besides their education and intellect. Praise God that he brought you there so that you can have access and that he can have access through you in those places. Can we think about things that way? That's what Paul's saying here. Man, these people would have probably never heard about Jesus. If I wasn't in jail, then praise him for that. Can we allow our perspective of our lives to extend beyond our comfort and think through a gospel lens? Can we do that? How is my plight, my situation, a key for unlocking the gospel in a new place? In a new place. And then there's the everyone else or all the rest, which 
would have included a number of people. And we learn this mainly through context of other places in Paul's letters where he uses this terminology. But he would have been talking about unsaved members of the Jewish community, some Gentiles, Paul's fellow Christians. Um, He was communicating with plenty of groups of people. And as we know, having the canonized scripture, he was writing letters to churches all over the place. The word was not just getting by. The church was not just surviving. It was thriving, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of adversity. And then the second reason that we read about in verse 14 that Paul felt encouraged even though he was in prison is this. His example of aggressive witness, and aggressive witness doesn't mean like being the guy on the street corner holding up the sign. Aggressive witness means he's in prison and he's preaching the gospel. When he should be submissive, he's being assertive. In the midst of a place that would seem like it would just be beating you down, he takes a stand and says, no, here's what is good. Here's where my hope is and where you should have hope as well. It's not an abusive aggressive, it's an assertive aggressiveness. And that assertiveness, that witness has inspired other Roman Christians, he says here, to be more outspoken in sharing the gospel. Did you, do you realize that when you are bold in sharing your faith and standing up for what you believe, the people around you get excited and they get bold as well? Like, think about that. It's a form of mutual ministry that when somebody in our number, would, would declare what they believe, would share their testimony, would get baptized, would, that would bring a friend to hear the good news of Jesus, that when we are bold enough to do that, it encourages those around us. And Paul's saying, because of what I'm going through, because of what I'm doing, because of my assertive or aggressive witness, other Roman Christians are being emboldened in their faith. I'm not just witnessing to those that don't know Jesus. I'm empowering those that do to live a lifestyle that represents Jesus into a dark, broken place and culture. Can we relate to needing to represent or represent Jesus in a dark and broken culture? Or does everybody just think, you know, we're, we're just in a place where, man, God's word is just flourishing. All my neighbors know Jesus. My workplace is not hostile at all towards my beliefs. Campus is just you know, a, a glimpse of heaven on earth. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. But here's, here, we laugh, and I, I teed you up there, and I'm sorry. We, we scoff at that, but every place as a representative of Jesus that you place your feet is a glimpse of heaven. And so, yes, the campus may be a dark place. Your workplace might be a dark place. But when you step your feet in there and you represent Jesus in the darkness, people are getting a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. What Paul says about the advancement of the gospel, about Jesus winning, happens when you faithfully take steps into dark places. When you faithfully take steps into those places. So rather than taking a lower profile because they know that one of their own is in jail... Which, like, you know, the apostles did when Jesus was arrested. You know, Peter's like, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Like, taking this denial stance. They're saying, well, he's in prison. This isn't bolding me. If he can do this, I can too. If that's something that would invigorate you, I would encourage you, open your eyes to your community and see what's, what's happening that can embolden me, that can, like, empower me to take those steps of faith as well. I pray that you don't leave this place just saying, man, because Pastor Chris preached a message that I didn't fall asleep in, I'm going to go be bold and share like, what I'm excited about. But that you will look at the people next to you, or maybe if this is your first time here, that you'll say, man, somebody cared about me enough to bring me to hear about Jesus? I can do this too. 
that you will be more encouraged by the other people in this room than just by what I have to share with you or what God wants to share with you through these messages on Sundays. Would we be encouraged, empowered, and emboldened by our peers just as much or more than we are by the vocational ministers and the celebrity pastors on YouTube around us? There is all the encouragement, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that you need in this room to go out and do what God's called you to do. It's not about anybody on a platform, a stage, or a screen. It's about Christ and you ministering through each other and empowering one another to go out and be bold witnesses because of what Christ has done in you. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's go. These people were standing up boldly for Christ and trusting him as they had never done before. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say over these last six months, a fair number of us in this room have put ourselves out there for Jesus more than we've ever done before. Fair statement? I see heads shaking. I won't make you raise your hand. But that is the evidence. That is the evidence of fruit of the Spirit happening in our midst. That is the evidence of mutual ministry. That is the evidence of knowing what Christ has done for us and not being able to contain it within our own lives. But it must overflow to the world around us. You are seeing the evidence of that all around you. Now, of these local Roman Christians that Paul's talking about, who were now witnessing and preaching more boldly than ever, he goes into this weird little, like, what seems like a, a rabbit trail, right? Like, okay, some of them are doing it for different motives, apparently. I don't know about you guys, if you haven't read this recently, that, that probably should stick out to you a little bit. As I was saying, he's like, man, yeah, that's right, advancing the gospel, I can get behind this, I'll preach this all week, like, come on, and it's like, and some of them had trash motives, and I was like, oh, Okay, so now we gotta, we got to figure out what, what Paul's talking about here. But he's saying there's two types of people that are sharing their faith because it's distinguished by their motivation. And he's very clear about this. There's different motivations between why they're sharing this or why they're preaching this. Some were hoping to advance their own reputations by their activities. He says some of these people were doing it out of envy, evil, selfish gain, they were just trying to get a reputation and get a following of their eloquent words and their sharing. They were trying to draw people to them, and they were using the gospel as a tool to gain followers rather than as something that was purely out of love and out of the perpetuation of the good news of Jesus. They were envious of Paul's prominence, and they were striving with their fellow believers and their, their group uh, for selfish reasons. Now, <clears throat> when I was 20 years old, it was a few years ago, we, there was no such thing as an influencer, right? Like, you read this and you're like, well, yeah, duh, I see those people in my reels all the time, right? Like, yes, my YouTube al algorithm is full of the clickbaity, this Christian did this, and then you go listen to it, and it's like, that's not anything what this is about, right? Like, <clears throat> trying to utilize the plight, the crisis, the suffering, or the popularity and prominence of somebody else to gain influence. Do you see this all around? And Paul's saying, like, that's, that's not what we want. That's not the goal. But we'll save for after. It's, it's coming up what he says about that. And, I mean, we read it. But um, just because somebody's motives are off doesn't mean the gospel doesn't carry power. Just because an imperfect vessel is imperfectly and out of poor motivation sharing what can still be distilled down to truth 
doesn't mean the gospel loses its power. There is something profound to the fact that the gospel supersedes all of our motivations, even our intentions. It supersedes our imperfections. It stands alone. And even through an imperfect vessel, it still carries power. And Paul's saying, I don't care how it gets out there. It's the gospel. It'll stand on its own. It'll stand on its own. But he recognizes that there are these kinds of people. And then there's others that have a sincere desire to share what Paul's confinement had created. Love of God and Paul motivated the members of this second group. And moreover, they believed that the apostles' present confinement was a situation that God had ordained for the defense of the gospel. Not that just God's like, well, those are really messed up people, and I didn't see that coming, that Paul would be in jail, but I'll figure out a way to use it. It's like, no, like, God purposed this, and this is part of his plan to reach another people group. And they evidently accepted this by faith, even though they didn't understand how Paul's imprisonment could fit into God's plan for the building of his church. How could the imprisonment of our pastor be good for the building of our church? Like, that, that's kind of mind-shifting, right? It's hard to see how that could work out. But my question for us out of that is, will we have faith to trust God when we don't understand or agree with how things are unfolding? There, I know there's been plenty of occasions where we've had to ask that question in our community. Whether it's tragic death and loss or various other things like, will I have the faith to trust God and his power and wisdom even when I don't understand and I'm actually quite frustrated about how things are going down? Will I still trust him? Will I believe that he is God he knows better, and on a cosmic scale of all the things that will be working out for his good while I put my faith and trust in him rather than my intellect and how I would strategically approach this situation. See, when I say that, you're like, well, duh, I trust God over your strategic approach, Pastor Chris. Yes, but will you trust God over your strategic approach? <laughs> will we trust him when we don't understand or agree with how things are unfolding? <clears throat> Now, Paul's arrival in Rome may have caused some of these self-seeking opportunists or what we might call influencers um, in the Roman church some distress. Um, I know some pastors, <laughs> I won't say any names, that when like elevation nights came to Eugene, there were the, like part of the talk was actually, man, this is just people are just going to start going to this church online instead of going to my church. Like this prominent influencer coming into town, and I'm not saying anything negative about Elevation. Like I love their music. I think they do great things. They're super generous community. So don't hear this as me saying that they're in that category. But there were other people that were threatened by the presence of an influencer, a prominent group in town. And it's kind of like that. They're like, oh, man, Paul's in town. This is going to take away from my influence. This is going to take away from what I'm doing here. It's that kind of thing. There's a little bit of jealousy and envy that creeps in, that the attention would go from them and what they're trying to gain and would shift over to Paul. That's what he's addressing here. But nevertheless, with him in confinement, they now had an opportunity to regain some of that spotlight. They were seeing like, oh, he's here, but at least now he's locked up. So we won't be hearing from that guy anymore. And boy, were they wrong. Um, so, they, so they were becoming more outspoken. They were becoming more active because they thought there was this perceived void of leadership as Paul got locked up. 
but we see that it's just not the case. That, was, that is what he's talking about here. And some of them thought that their prominence or their influence in town would distress Paul, um, but Paul was much less selfish than them, as we see here. He was much less selfish because in verse 18, he says, what then? And it's just a what then and a question mark. Now, if we read that, like, it's kind of hard for us to understand from a literary sense because we don't speak like that. I don't get up here and say, what then? And then follow it with some statement, right? That's just like not how, how we talk. But this would have been uh, an idiom used by the Jewish people, and it would have been translated from Tigar, which means, what does it matter? That's what he, it's not just what then, it's what does it matter? Like, so yeah, people have mixed motives. And on any given issue, on any given politically divisive topic, anything that we deal with socially, there are going to be mixed motives. Like, that's just what we are existing in. We're, we're people. None of us are perfect. We have our experiences and ideas about things that could seem to cause divisiveness, but because of Jesus, we don't let it here. Amen? But he's saying, who cares what their motive is because the gospel's being preached? Who cares what their motive is? Paul believed that it's better for people with impure motives to preach the gospel about Jesus Christ than for them to not preach him at all. He believes in the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the proclamation of the gospel more than he believes in human free will, poor motives being able to take away from them. So what he's saying is, I'd rather have an imperfect vessel preaching perfect truth than it not being preached at all. Now, what this means for us, every person in here who says, I can't go tell people about Jesus because I'm broken. I can't go tell people about Jesus because I'm not perfect. I messed up last week. Don't check my search history. You'll know I can't go tell people about Jesus. Whatever your excuse is in the way that you are trying to disqualify yourself from being able to proclaim the good news of Jesus, Paul's saying, ah, it doesn't matter your motive We don't want you to stay there, but the truth of the gospel can stand on itself. And he's saying it's better for imperfect motives and imperfect people to preach the gospel than to not preach it at all. So if you're questioning yourself, I'm going to first say part of that's going to be the enemy trying to silence you and muzzle you. The other part of that is you don't get to disqualify yourself because Jesus saved you, he's renewing your mind, and he's doing a work through you. Do not settle for the lies of the enemy that try to pre-disqualify you from the very mission and work he's called you into as an adopted son or daughter in his family. The power of the gospel does not depend on the character of the preacher. It depends on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And nothing that you can fall short on, nothing that you can mess up in in any given week takes away from the potency and the salvation that comes with the gospel. So please do not disqualify yourself because of attack, insecurity, imperfection. But take a step and start. Start sharing. Start declaring. Paul's judgment or assertion or idea here is an example of seeking the best rather than just the good. He rejoiced and would continue to rejoice that his imprisonment has resulted in a more extended proclamation of the good news of salvation. He's like, this isn't best for me, but like, this, this, is, this is best for the gospel, right? Like, this isn't about just what makes me comfortable. Like, there are people hearing this good news and being empowered to share it themselves that never would have. If I wasn't in chains, that never would have if I wasn't in chains. 
Now, there's two specific things out of this that we can't miss today, that we can't miss. One is a perspective, and one I'll give you a case study on. The first thing is, in the midst of what Paul's dealing with, he's got some joy. Like, you ever think about the difference between happiness and joy? Like, I can do something fun, and it makes me happy. And then I can be done with that, and the happiness is fleeting, right? Like, I went to the spring game yesterday, and I was having fun watching football. And then my kid starts complaining, and I'm like, this, I'm not happy anymore. Like, why can't you love football like I love football? We got seats in the shade. You shouldn't be complaining because none of us are going to be sunburnt. Like, the, the happiness just, whew, it's like, <laughs> it can come and go. But joy, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of changing circumstances, it sticks around. Paul has a joy, a deep affection and appreciation for the work that Jesus has done in his life and what's been made available to him because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That is something that doesn't just go away because my kid's frustrating me. It doesn't just go away because somebody didn't catch a pass or whatever other situations, you know, were there yesterday. Like joy sticks around. It prevails through crisis and hardship. And this passage teaches that the modern church, it teaches us something about the nature of joy. It's not just a self-satisfied delight that everything's going our way, but it's a settled peace that arises from making the gospel the focus of life and from understanding that God is able to advance the gospel even under the most difficult of circumstances. Like no matter what you're going through, God still wins and you still have peace available to you should you choose to accept that. I know that a lot of you have went through a lot of hard things. I look around the room, and I, I see it in eyes. Like, did you all know, like, you, like, eyes tell stories? A lot of you have went through hard things. <clears throat> and I believe it's caused you to question the goodness of God. But what he wants to tell you in this is that he gives you joy in your salvation. He gives you peace that, that surpasses your understanding. In the midst of the hardship and the death and destruction and the loss that you may have had around you, he wants to remind you that he's good. His joy sticks around. It's not fleeting like whatever you know, flavor of the day is. Like He is with you. He is good. He loves you. And his peace as you choose his way and his word, it surpasses all of the, you trying to understand, why would God do this? Why would God do this? Like, there's something to the fact that we just can't, in our flesh, wrap our mind around all of God's motives, intents, and plans. And the moment that we say, God, I don't get it, but I trust you, and because I know you're good, I'm going to choose peace. I'm going to choose joy in this. Like, when we release that, it changes your life. Because if you're always trying to like intellectualize why God's making certain decisions or allowing certain things, it's kind of torturous. And by the nodding of heads, I guess I'm not the only one that stepped into those shoes from time to time. But there's a settled peace that arises when we make the gospel the main thing. 
Paul didn't have peace because he was in prison. He had peace and joy because he made the gospel the main thing. And we see that just oozing from his words here. The reason for this remarkable attitude that he had was the advancement of the gospel was his primary motivation, his primary goal in life. So at my home, you know, I, I asked myself this question then, like, well, what about my kids? Like, one of my primary things in life is to, like, raise my kids and be a good dad and be a good husband. Like, yes, but they're God's kids that he's given me the opportunity to steward and raise to love and fear him. So it's the same thing. Like, as, as I am as good a parent as I can be, and I raise my kids to know, love, and serve Jesus, that's an advancement of the gospel. As I try to be a good husband and have a good marriage, that's for the reflection of a relationship that can resemble Christ as in the bride, the church. Like, it's to represent Jesus and his goodness. It's for the advancement of the gospel. Like, having a family or going to school and all these other things aren't in a separate compartment they all can fall in line with the primary goal of our lives being the advancement of the gospel. And as a result of this, we see Paul, he's, he's rejoicing that the gospel is gaining a wider audience. But he faces adversity with composure and even temper. I think that is one of the most profound things to take from Paul, that his joy results in composure. Oftentimes I have joy in one moment and then I'm really frustrated that other people don't have joy. Or I have joy in one moment and I have frustrations that people are trying to steal my joy. You see that on the social medias, right? Like, you don't, nobody can steal my joy. It's like nobody, nobody can steal like, the gospel in you, what Christ has done in you. And if that's where it's coming from, you're talking about happiness, not joy. That's a different thing. Like, different word, fam. And so um, we, we, just, we have to keep that at the center. And that changes our composure. It makes us more even-tempered because we're oriented around something that is not fleeting. And that's the truth of what Jesus has done for us. So Paul's joy, we need to take that. We need as a church to understand where our joy comes from, what it yields, and how we should act out of it. And finally, the first verse kind of spoiled this or highlighted it. But there is advancement through adversity. There is advancement through adversity. I'm going to read you a case study from a theologian that is about Cuba. Cuba is an instructive case study for an advancement of the gospel through adversity. It says, five years after the collapse of the Berlin Wall, theologian Thomas Oden visited congregations in the Methodist Church of Cuba and discovered that despite 35 years of oppression and miserable economic conditions, the Methodists had grown from a low of 6,000 to over 50,000 members. Nothing short of a spiritual revolution reminiscent of Acts 2, said Odin, had taken place. Much of this spiritual numerical growth, however, could be attributed to people, both young and old, who had grown weary of the official atheist party line and turned to the church to find a more satisfying answer to the meaning of life. During the previous four decades, the best efforts of Fidel Castro's tyrannical regime had not succeeded in stamping out the church. Despite the personal cost of everything from a chance at a university education to long prison terms, Christians had remained faithful and the church had grown. After reading Odin's report, it's hard not to wonder if the explosion of interest in the gospel after Fidel Castro relented and allowed the church a measure of freedom was in part due to the admiration that the people felt for the church's constant faithfulness over many years. 
However that may be, there can be no doubt that the grim economic times that plagued Cuba after the collapse of the Soviet Union opened doors of opportunity for the gospel. And one longtime Cuban Christian uh, interviewed made these observations. He said, the search for meaning is just as crucial as the search for bread. While the economy around us is falling apart, Christians are living in a state of special grace. It's not difficult for Cubans to see the difference between the people of God and those who are desperately trying to live without faith. Ordinary Cubans are becoming aware of the church as a life-saving community of hope. The theologian continues, God continues to advance the gospel through the weakness and suffering of his people today. This does not mean that suffering is good, of course, and we should work to alleviate the suffering of our Christian brothers and sisters everywhere, but it illustrates that beautifully appointed buildings, large parking lots, and programs designed to attract demanding church shoppers do not guarantee that God is at work. God typically works through the means that the world rejects. He typically works through the means that the world rejects. There is something about somebody who is living with joy and grace and peace in the midst of adversity that is appealing even to the dominant majority around them. And there were these party lines of atheism in Cuba. It says that people, like, it was most likely the, the constant faithfulness of the people of God that drew others to that. Like, there's got to be something to this. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, hey, life can be hard in Eugene, Oregon, or wherever you live for a Christian, but, hey, things are going to get better. Like, my Bible doesn't say that things head that way. It says things are going to be hard. It says you're going to have to make choices to be faithful, not be in the cultural majority all the time. Like, this is just part of serving Jesus. But what I do want to tell you is that as you embrace the grace and peace of your salvation and peace being the outcome of that, and you walk forward in joy choosing for the gospel to be at the core of your life and your purpose, none of the things that may happen to you, the conversations that you may have to have that are really awkward or people might be mean or they might say not nice things about you, like none of that can steal your joy. None of that can steal that. None of that should beat you down. None of that should deter you from the reality that because of the work of Christ Jesus, you are saved. You are made new. You are given a new life, a new purpose, and a new mission. And that supersedes all of the circumstances you may be dealing with. And that's good news. And as you do that, you will represent Jesus everywhere you go. And people will come to know him because of your constant faithfulness, choosing joy, choosing peace, operating out of a place of having received the grace of the good news of Jesus. These verses we read today present a positive model for all followers of Jesus as we evaluate how Paul was living in his perspective here. Because rather than valuing his own comfort, his own reputation, or his freedom above all else, he put the advancement of the gospel first. He discerned what was best, and that was that this new group of people, the gospel is advancing in new places, and he could maintain a truly joyful attitude even in unpleasant circumstances because he got his joy from seeing God glorified rather than from seeing himself exalted. 
he got his joy from seeing Christ glorified rather than himself exalted. And his behavior in prison had been pure and blameless. He had done right before the Lord. And what set Paul apart here will set you apart as you encounter adversity. Worship team, you can come back up. As you seek to proclaim Jesus in the midst of adversity, hard situations, hard relationships, what will set you apart and did Paul is your testimony, your experience of what Christ has done in you, your relationship with him, and how that offers hope and it offers an answer to the things that the world cannot. When you testify to the way in which he pursued you, when you weren't that lovable, if you're honest with yourself, if you testify to the way that you choosing him as Lord and Savior has transformed your life. It changes the world around us. But it's really hard to advance something that you have not yet received or experienced, right? Like, it's hard to be a part of advancing something that hasn't advanced in your own heart. Like, I cannot invest and see growth in money that I don't have to invest, I tried that. I even tried to pray it into existence. It didn't happen, right? If I don't have the money to invest, I can't invest it and see it grow. I can't invest and see growth in relationships that I don't have. I cannot see impact happen in people's lives that I don't relate well with. If I'm like, oh, I hate them. They annoy me. How am I going to see growth and, and things happen in their lives through my relationship with them if my heart is sour towards them. And I cannot invest in others' pursuit of Jesus if I'm not pursuing Jesus. I can't invest in your relationship with Jesus if I'm like, let me tell you about what you need to do, and I'm not doing any of it. So the question that that leads us to this morning is, have you received the good news of the gospel of Jesus for yourself? Have you received that? All these things we're talking about that that motivate and fuel Paul in the midst of adversity, that bring like hope and joy in the midst of hard circumstances, that when you look around the world and things seem hopeless, that you can say, but I have hope. That all comes from saying yes first to Jesus. It's hard to be on mission with somebody that you're not following. Right? Like you can't be in Jesus' mission. You can't be participating in what he's doing if you're not following him first. And so I want to give that opportunity this morning. Any room with this number of people in it is going to have folks that maybe fall into a couple categories. And one is like, yeah, I believe in God, but like this Jesus thing, this Lordship thing, like actually letting him dictate how I live my life through his word, through prayer with him, through community. Like I just, I haven't went there because I've been hurt, because maybe you have a family member who misrepresented Jesus and so you're kind of guarded towards that whole thing. Or maybe you've just never even heard the good news of what Jesus has done for you. I'd be remiss if I let you leave today without telling you that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son who came to earth, lived the perfect life that we could not live. He gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, for not just our sins, but the condition of sin in this world. And he was murdered on a cross, a brutal death on a Roman cross. 
As he died and rose again three days later, he conquered the penalties of sin, Satan, and death. He conquered those things. He claimed victory in that. And that victory wasn't just so that he could be exalted and say, that's right, I'm better than the devil, which is true, but he did that for you. He did that so that you could be made right with the God who created you. He didn't just do it so that the person next to you or your parents or your praying grandma or whoever it is could have a relationship with Jesus. He did it so that each and every one of you could now, through Jesus, have a relationship with the God who created you. You can go to him. You can pray to him. You can seek him for wisdom. And you can join in on his mission to represent the gospel everywhere that you would go. But you can't be a part of a mission that you're not following first, that you're not submitted to. And so before we move forward, I just want to pray for that specific thing this morning. If you're like, okay, it's time. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to follow him. I need to say yes to him being my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads, and I'm just going to pray for you. Sometimes different churches make people come up to the front, and it's really embarrassing, all this stuff. We don't do that yet. Who knows? Maybe someday. I'm just joking. What I will do is just a sign of saying, yes, I receive you, Jesus. You just open your hands palms up as a sign saying, yeah, God, I need you. I want you. I'm inviting you into my life to be my Lord and Savior right now. With every head bowed, you just open up your hands as a sign of receiving from the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for the work that you did through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. And God, I pray for every person that's that wants to receive you right now, whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, God, that you would help them to confess their sins, to put their faith in you, to turn from the ways of this world and to pursue you. And God, I pray that they would experience the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you would bring people around them to help them be in community and in discipleship relationships to be a part of your mission and sharing your joy and representing your hope and your gospel wherever they would go. God, I pray right now that you would be drawing people to you in a new way. And we pray and praise you for salvation. So we thank you in Jesus' name. So that opportunity is out of the way. We need to follow Jesus. We need to say yes to him. Then the final question is this, will you be motivated, not just by the words of Paul, not just by the scriptures, which should be first and foremost, but by the evidence of God all around us, the evidence of him working and doing things in people's lives that we can see represented in this room. Will you be motivated and spurred on like through that to be bold and courageous and sharing that hope wherever God sends you? Now, some of you are thinking, I, I, I can't get up and, and preach, and I, I can't do and I, I wouldn't even know what to say. Like, trust me, till a couple of years ago, I couldn't preach either, so that's okay. That's not a disqualification, okay? But each of you have a story of how God reached you. There is no disputing that if you've given your life to Jesus, that you have something to say. Here's what my life was like before Jesus. Here's how he showed up, who he showed up through, what he told me about, what I believed about myself, and here's what life looks like with him being at the center. And if you 
just go around sharing that to anyone who will hear, there will be a beacon of light of the kingdom of heaven shown around you everywhere you go. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. Because culture, society tells you, shh, don't say that. All the noise tells you, no, just keep that to yourself. But the word of God says, this is the hope for the world. So who are we to keep it to ourselves? Amen. So God, I pray for boldness and courage for all my brothers and sisters in this room. God, I even pray for the few in here that are still wrestling whether with whether you are Lord and Savior of their lives. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to them, make yourselves real to them, that there would be no denying your goodness, your greatness, and that you are real to each and every person in here. I pray for a tangible encounter with the Spirit of God for every person in this room. And out of that, God, I pray that there would be boldness and courage to just tell the truth about what you've done in us, what you've done in each of our lives. And God, we believe and have faith that you will use that to change this world, to draw people to you and to bring hope where there is no hope and to make joy the dominant force in this world because the gospel is our main objective. So we thank you and we praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand up and close in worship.